as, uh, as pastor of the church, as leader of the church. Uh, it's kind of cool for me. Churches three times our size uh, send teams this big away on mission trips. And uh, for some reason, God has put it on our community's heart to, uh, to do this kind of thing. And so to be able to watch that, uh, there's, it's not like we have some kind of magic trick where we have lots of people that uh, care about doing these kind of experiences, and it's just an amazing thing to be able to see and to watch. And if you want to uh, be a part of something like that ever, you can start thinking about it or planning for it now. It's uh, worth it, and uh, it's worth it for what you do. It's worth it for what happens to you, and it's worth it uh, for this church. And your spiritual growth will benefit uh, your community in ways that you can't even... You can't even explain, you can only experience. So uh, just, it's re- just a cool experience. I want to do something that um, usually doesn't happen in church, but could you pull out your phone for me? And uh, I just want to, uh, James says no. All right, everyone, James Walburn says no. Everyone else pull out your phone. We're going to text James Walburn. Um, <laughs> I don't know his number offhand, but could you tell us, Elizabeth? No, just don't, don't, don't yell it out. Uh, um, there's going to be a slide that comes up, uh, I think. Uh, the Grove, if you got a text this morning from the Grove, then you can put your phone away because you've already done what you need to do. Uh, but we actually have a Grove texting service now, and we're going to invite you to do this. If you text the word go to this number, uh, it signs you up for the Grove's texting service. And we're not going to text you every day or or shoot you spam, and if it gets annoying, you can always text stop, and it'll stop. Uh, But we are growing as a church, and we're trying to work our best in being able to communicate everything to everyone. And so if you want to uh, know what's going on or hear the things that are happening, uh, you can text go to that number, and you'll get texts back. And Or if you just like getting texts and you feel popular that way, uh, you can text go to this number, and you'll get random texts, and you can... Uh, leave your phone on and stuff like that, and people will hear that you're important. Um, but uh, we're also setting up like student groups and men's groups and women's groups so that you can be in the know about things that are going on. Sometimes it happens where you're away two or three weeks in a row because of uh, vacations or uh, you've got work commitments or your kids that are playing away games in their sports and so you're not able to be here and so you can miss what's happening and we want to be able to uh, take care of you and help you uh, help you belong, uh, not just feel like you belong, but really actually belong. So you can text go to that number and uh, you'll be able to be in the know all the time. Today's also the final day that we're going to have a bunch of those tables in the lobby. And so if you're thinking about uh, participating more in the Grove or being a part of what God is doing here and you want to connect and build some relationships, there's ways to serve or there's ways to get into groups uh, there, you can serve in the kids' ministry or in the youth ministry or, or participate in those ministries uh, or the women's ministry out there. There's also the Go Table, and we'd love for you to uh, stop by there if you want to. Um, basically, at the end of the sermon today, here's what I'm going to say. You've got to know your Bible. Um, you've got to know what the Scripture teaches if you're going to live what the Scripture teaches. And that's what um, the go-kart is for out there, that cart that's in the middle with those books and things. We've got a couple on order that actually go with this sermon series. They'll be here next week that we're going to show you. And uh, some of those books are for purchase. We sell them for what we buy them on Amazon for. It's really actually simple. You can buy them on your Kindle if you want. We don't, it's not like a money-making venture. Uh, There's also um, 
some um, like free resources as far as journaling and devotionals and Bibles go and stuff like that. Like if you're here and you're thinking maybe this God thing is real, but I don't have a Bible, we'll give you one for free. And, and it's not like a cheap crap one. It's like a good one, you know, like I don't understand churches that someone comes up and like, I think I want to be a Christian. They give them the cheapest Bible possible, right? Like we want to invest in you if you want to follow Jesus. And so that's kind of a big deal to us. All right. So, uh, or if you're just like, I've got a crap Bible, you can fake it and we'll give you a better one. So, but you'll go to hell for that. So I'm just kidding. Uh, you've probably done way worse stuff. If you're willing to do that, you've done way worse stuff. So, uh, but we want to let you know that resource is there. But that's where we're going to end today, is telling you that knowing your scripture actually matters, and knowing what God says actually matters. I think there's a lot of misinformation that we give ourselves. Uh, things that we think God wants or think that God says, and then we get into situations in our life where it's difficult to know exactly what God is saying or what God is doing, uh, and the difference between someone who is uh, confident in what God is saying, not just confident, confident and correct in what God is saying, and someone who is confident and sometimes incorrect in what God is saying or where God is leading. Um, the difference is, honestly, uh, a study of Scripture. But it's not easy. Uh, I don't want to pretend that reading the Bible and understanding it is easy. Like, people go to college for this junk. Like, it is a book that was written over thousands of years in different languages, not written in English, and translated and tried to understand. And there's parts that seem to contradict each other. There's parts that are plainly wrong. And you're not supposed to say that, but they say in the Bible, there's an Old Testament part where they say there's a well. It was 10 feet across and 30 feet around. All the mathematicians know if it's 10 feet across, it's 31.4 feet around. <laughs> but the rest of you are like, only the nerds have a problem with that. The rest of us are okay. But, uh, but there are, like, uh, there's parts of the Bible that are poetry and parts of the Bible that are history and parts of the Bible that are letters that were written. It's not easy and it's not simple. And so it actually takes an investment of yourself in order to understand what the Scripture is teaching understand what the Bible says, and we want you to be equipped to be able to live for God in your world. For a long time, we've lived in a culture that the Bible is kind of, or Christianity is kind of the water that we swim in. Uh, if you were nothing, you were Christian, right? And our culture is shifting to where uh, the, like the fastest growing religious preference in our country is none, uh, to the none preference. And we are in a, uh, this isn't like a bragging way, but the Pacific Northwest has been on the leading edge of, of that none preference as far as religion goes. And so you have been given by God an opportunity to kind of be the guinea pigs of what it is to live in a culture uh, for the first time in our history that doesn't know God. And, and not know God in a saving way, but know that God is there. Uh, the curse words in our culture are Christian curse words. Uh, very few people around you stub their toe and go, ah, oh, wow, right? Like they're... <laughs> I'm not sure how offensive that is, but I did it anyways. <laughs> the, the, there is a... Well, anyways. Uh, there is, like, 
we've had this experience where Christianity is around us, and you're kind of Christian just by osmosis, and you're, like, what it creates is Christians that are able to be a little bit lazy uh, as far as knowing what their faith teaches and knowing what the Scripture teaches, and that isn't going to pass any longer. And you've been living that because you live in the Pacific Northwest. You've been living that already for a long time. And so it's, I think, a, a neat responsibility and a, a precious responsibility that God has given us to be leaders for the church across the Western world because we've been living here already and the rest of the Western world is looking. This is true. The pastors in the rest of the country are looking at the Pacific Northwest and saying, how did they uh, manage, because Christianity is actually gaining influence in cities like Portland, where a very, very low percentage of young people actually attend any church at all, Christianity is increasing in its impact in the community in the city of Portland. And people don't know that or don't think about that, but it's true because the churches and the Christians and the pastors have actually actively worked at knowing the scriptures and knowing what the scripture teaches so that uh, they can share Jesus with the world and live for Jesus in their world. So, I'm going to tell a story. It's going to take six minutes and 35 seconds. And, uh, uh, and I think it means something. In the Old Testament, this is Daniel chapter 3, there's this country called Judah, and they were God's people, God's chosen people. Left Egypt, wandered in the wilderness, did the whole Ten Commandments and Moses thing, and then moved into the Promised Land, uh, which then the, their country actually kind of split in a kind of an unfortunate civil war because of an untimely death of a king, uh, or at least in part because of that. And then this country called Judah is kind of what remains, and the nation of Babylon comes and uh, lays siege to the city of Jerusalem and exiles the people. Uh, and so the, many of the talented and handsome and well-connected uh, and smart people got exiled, and then they are over in Babylon living there. And there's this main model in the book of Daniel about this guy named Daniel and his friends. And their Hebrew names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they were given Babylonian names because they were rising in stature and, and learning to um, uh, speak and talk and think in the Babylonian mythical religion and, the, and their culture and their writings and those kinds of things. And so this king of that area named Nebuchadnezzar, which would be his Babylonian name, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and won't tell the people what the dream is. He has magicians and enchanters who interpret his dreams for him because they believe the gods speak to us through dreams. He won't tell them the dream. He wants them to tell him the dream and then interpret it. No one can do it. He says, I'm going to kill you all then, uh, which is alarming. But Daniel comes out, who was also prepared for death. Daniel's still in school, like kind of a seminary program that they would have had. Daniel comes, God tells him what the dream is, and then Daniel interprets it. The dream is that there's this great statue which represents all of the different kingdoms uh, that were going to rule over the earth, from the Babylonian kingdom all the way down to the Roman Empire, which was the last empire that ruled the entire world, or at least the entire known world. And the top of the statue is gold, because that's Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And the other kingdoms that would come behind it would never be as glorious as Babylon was. Nebuchadnezzar says, you're awesome, Daniel. That's exactly what my dream is. You told me what it means. This is fantastic. You're promoted. All your friends are promoted. Or Daniel promotes all his friends after that. It's fantastic. Nebuchadnezzar then responds by doing this, building himself a gold statue. All gold. Screw those other empires. I'm not supposed to say that word either, but I've already been offensive. So uh, forget those other empires. 
I'm building a statue that's all gold. He builds himself a statue that's nine feet wide and 90 feet tall. And he says, I had this dream where God says, I'm just the top and there'll be those other behind me. And this statue says, I'm it. I'm all there is. And I will be here forever. And so he gets a big band together with all the instruments that they had. And when they're going to play this music, everyone is going to bow down to this statue. And everyone's going to recognize that I am here and this is my statue and I'm here forever. And there's going to be this great uh, music that plays and everyone will bow down. And so they do, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For some reason, Daniel's not there. But these three best friends don't bow. And so the magicians and enchanters are kind of mad that these outsiders have come in and now have been promoted above them. They go and tell the king. And the kings, they set up kind of maliciously this rule that if you don't do that, if you don't bow, you'll be put to death. The king calls them in and says, is this true? Like a responsible king who just set up a god of himself for everyone to worship. Like a responsible king, he calls them in, says, is this true? And they say yes. And he says, don't you know I'll kill you? And this, verse 16 of chapter 3, is one of my favorite verses. It'll be on the screen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, he will, but even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. It's a fantastic verse for people to know and understand living in our world. Here's how the story goes, and then I'll get back to this. Here's how the story goes. Nebuchadnezzar does not go, that's a very holy thing. He says, turn the fire up. <laughs> they have a special furnace for, apparently, for burning people. Uh, because there's no mention in the story of building a furnace. It's already there. And so they have this special furnace. They heat it up, and the Bible says seven times what it was normally heated, which is probably a number that they used. Like, we say, it was ten times bigger. Not actually, like, there was no one with a thermometer checking to make sure it was seven. Seven was their number, like, ten is our number. Uh, and so it was uh, seven times hotter. They tie the guys up with ropes. They bring them to it. It's so hot that the soldiers who brought them and threw them in die from the heat and the flames. All right? This is the way the story is told. They throw them in. They stand up. Nebuchadnezzar is confused in his rage and says, didn't we throw three guys in there? And then they're like, yes, we did throw three guys in there. And those three guards died, you idiot, right? Like, they don't say that out loud. But he said, Nebuchadnezzar says, then why do I see four in there? And one of them looks like a son of a god. One of them looks like an angel is in there. And Nebuchadnezzar sees what some people think is an angel. Other people think this is a... Um, a pre-incarnation of Christ uh, or Christ before he took on a bodily form is in the furnace with them. He calls them out as the three, and it actually says they're moving around in there, which has got to be the freakiest experience of your life. First, you're thrown into a fire, right? And I mean, you're having some last minute thoughts at that moment. And then Jesus appears and then you're in a fire walking around. Like, I have very little, um, uh, very little ability to behave in the right way at the moments when you're supposed to. And so if I'm in the fire and I'm not on fire and Jesus is there, aren't you doing like what you do when the strobe light turns on? Ooh, right? Like I'm moving around. I'm like, look at this. 
you know, and Jesus is there. And, I, and it says Jesus is moving around too. And so I like to think, this probably isn't true, but I like to think that Jesus is doing, I know, isn't this awesome, right? Because <laughs> they don't know Jesus. They don't know what he looks like, but there's this other guy there and he's awesome, right? And, and it's just a really good time. So they're in there, Nebuchadnezzar calls them out. And he actually says, I don't know what's going on, but your God has protected you. And from now on, no one can say anything against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. And your God is all there is. And the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been promoted to some rural provinces, and he actually promoted them and brought them back into Babylon and uh, gave them higher-ranking positions in Babylon. Again, I don't know where Daniel was during this story, but his friends were having an awesome time. Verse 16, though, is a response of faith that I think goes beyond what we call faith in our world today. In verse 16, 17, and 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to this threat from the outside by saying, God will rescue us. We don't have to answer you. But even if he doesn't rescue us, we still won't compromise on what it means to follow our God which includes not worshiping other gods. I think a lot of us have the kind of faith that says, as long as things work out for me, as long as God is of my opinion on certain issues, I will follow God. What if God is disagreeing with you on certain issues? And some of these get really personal. Like, this is my friend or my family member and if God doesn't love them exactly the way they are, then I don't want to love God at all. Which is an awkward statement at all, because God loves all people, and so your standard of whether God exists or not is um, awkward for God. <laughs> but if we're in a situation or we see a political thing going on, and we're like, well, if this person doesn't think this way, or if God doesn't think this way about this, then I don't need God in my life. What we do in that situation is elevate ourselves just above the Bible, which the Bible expresses in itself that this is God's word to us, God's message to us. It's the specific revelation of God to us. And we say, well, this is what the Bible says, but my experience says this, and so I'm going to go with that. Or my opinions or my personality says this, so I'm going to go with that. And I see it happen uh, not just a long time ago, but I see it happen over and over and over and over. If God is working and answering my prayers with the answers that I want to receive, then I will continue to honor and worship and serve and obey God. You look at those natural disasters that are that have happened this year and are continuing to happen. I actively prayed against those storms who were coming to the islands. Like I prayed, God, stop those storms, bring in another kind of whatever, I don't understand weather, push them away into the ocean where it's going to do less damage. And I expected God to answer my prayer. I am confused that he didn't. I don't understand it. I think God made the wrong choice. And you probably don't have, mm, some of you do, you may not have the kind of relationship that I do with God where I am vocal to God when I am disappointed in him. I'm like, God, I think you made the wrong choice. You screwed this one up, and I wish you would have done something different. The logical choice, if I'm going to put myself above God, is then to no longer listen, no longer obey God. 
is God didn't listen to me. He said he would answer my prayers. He didn't answer it. The truth is he didn't answer it the way I wanted him to. And I still don't understand it. Like, it makes no sense to me. It seems stupid that we would have natural disasters that hurt people. Doesn't it? It seems stupid that people I love get diseases that end their life when they're in the prime of their life. It seems stupid that people suffer when they were great people, when they were good people, when they did good things and they still had a lot of life ahead of them. It seems stupid, and I hate it. And I disagree with God that he allows that. I might be in trouble when I get to heaven, but I know my scripture, and you can't be kicked out. <laughs> this is why you should know your scripture. You can... There are, like, rewards in heaven, and I may be forfeiting some of those. But I'm not going to hell, and that's a lot worse. Uh, there, and I say that jokingly, but it, I really, really honestly believe it. And there's a long tradition of people, in a, like saints and martyrs, who have wrestled with God and disagreed with God, and yet continue to serve God. There are things in my life, things around me, and things about me, that I disagree with God about, that I don't like. But when I look at the world around me and I look at my own personal opinion, I recognize myself as King Nebuchadnezzar, not the culture outside of me, not the world, not a boss who wants me to do something or not a teammate or a peer pressure situation. I recognize myself as King Nebuchadnezzar. And what I want is myself to bow down to myself and worship whatever my ideas and my thoughts and my patterns are. And when I'm at my best is when the Spirit of God empowers me to be able to say to myself, God, uh, to say to myself, James, I do not need to defend myself for my beliefs, even though I disagree with them. And if my life is thrown into a burning furnace, the God who I serve is able to deliver me. The God who I serve is able to deliver me from myself. And he will. He will deliver me. God will deliver me from everything in me that disagrees with God because by definition I'm the one that's wrong because by definition he's God. And so even if God doesn't rescue me from these ridiculous thoughts and ridiculous arguments that I have with God, I know, James, that I will not serve James. That I will not put my thoughts and my priorities and my opinions above God. I will not worship the image that I have set up. The image of myself that I have set up. Daniel's friends in this scripture are calling you to not just like God, but to follow God. They're calling you today to stop serving God just because he's good to you, but start, start serving God because he's God, because he's Jesus. And when things go bad in you or around you, the choice is you listen to your own logic or you listen to what God says and what God is leading you to do. And the way to be able to do that isn't just by will or working harder. It's by reading your scripture and knowing your scripture and the spirit of God impressing those things on your mind. At the end of the day, I'm really comfortable disagreeing with God because I know he's right. I'm, I'm really comfortable having these conversations with God because the truth is if I'm right, then we're all in trouble. <laughs> That's just That should be like... On, you know how you have encouraging sayings on your wall? Just put that on your mirror. If you're right about everything, we're all in trouble. 
if I'm right about everything, we're all in trouble. But I know that I have so much confidence in God that I know that he can overcome even me in my life and in my world. The story of Daniel 3 leads us there. And you're going to face that this week. You're going to face that from the outside and you're going to face that from your own inside. And my hope is that God uses the scripture to be able to lead you to a place that you trust him more than you trust yourself. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing one song and then we're going to go today. And I hope this has been an awesome Sunday for you. I went way past my time because I do not respect that red clock at all. <laughs> Let's stand and pray together, okay? God, I want to thank you for um, these three men, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and thank you that their story was written down and that we serve a God who is greater even than ourselves, which sounds like an obvious thing to say, but we choose ourselves a lot more than we'd like to admit. And many in this room this morning would have uh, feelings of repentance, feelings of disobedience, when we have, even today or even this week, served ourselves or our own opinions, chosen our ways over your ways. And God, I join them in asking you to forgive us for those times. Forgive us for arguing with you. Forgive us for doubting your wisdom, for doubting your power, and for doubting your ways. And God, lead us into a place where we have so much trust in you that we don't need you to work on our agenda, but you lead us into working on yours. God, we, I, I genuinely thank you for this morning, for this community, for what you're doing in our lives and what you will do through us. And as we worship together, I pray your name would be lifted up, that you would enjoy it. And as we worship you, that you would turn our hearts away from ourselves and towards you. Where we need to, where we need to be. In your name I ask that. Amen.